Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The truth Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. Must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, May 5th, 2022, the 470th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Before we get started, I just have to remind you, as always, about the great American patriot, Mike Lindell and his great American company, MyPillow. If you would like to make your home, your bed, your feet more comfortable. Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code REASONABLE, and you can get up to 60% off a whole range of items that will make you a lot more comfortable. And you'll be supporting me and this show. You'll be supporting Mike Lindell, and you'll be supporting MyPillow and American workers everywhere. So go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code REASONABLE. Also, before we get started, if you have not gone and watched the Ghost of Kiev video yet, I encourage you to do that. You can find it on Rumble, BitChute, and Odyssey. My screen name on all of those platforms is I'm Your Moderator. So you should be able to find it pretty easily that way, or you can go on Telegram, t.me slash I'm Your Moderator, and just search Ghost of Kiev, and Kiev is spelled K-E-E-E-V. So please check that out. Please share it. It is a great way to support the show if you are not in a position to support the show financially. And by the way, if you are, it would be awfully nice. But let's get into it. And we'll pick up where we left off from the last two days, which is discussing abortion. I'm not going to make the whole show about it because there's a lot else going on this week. But it's important to get a broad understanding of these issues if we're going to be hearing about them constantly over the next couple weeks or couple months. You're going to wind up in conversations with people who are freaking out. And if you're able to have a conversation with these people, if they're able to pause their freak out momentarily and listen to facts and think about moral principles, then you might be able to shift their thinking. And that's always a good thing. Now, someone whose thinking is not going to shift at all is this little communist from New York Magazine's intelligencer, Sarah Jones. She published this article yesterday. 
The Supreme Court is a tool of tyrants. And this is the most grand re I've seen so far. This is just re with 17 E's after it, all in capital letters. Most Americans do not want to ban abortion. About 60% believe the procedure should be legal in all or most cases. The Pew Research Center reported last year. Now, I never like to stop after just two sentences, but those two sentences are so ridiculous that it's worth focusing on them. Okay. Most Americans do not want to ban abortion is not at all the same claim as most Americans want Roe versus Wade upheld or most Americans support abortion. Banning abortion in all cases, in all places is a much different discussion than the one we are having now. This is the discussion they would prefer to have because they want to make use of the bottom end of their very slippery slope. They want people to imagine that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, all of a sudden we are in a world or in a country, I should say, where abortion is completely banned. That is not true. And it's also a very clever way to state what she's trying to state. She is trying to make it look like a majority of Americans hold the same position she holds. She wants readers to think, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know if I want to totally ban abortion. And when Jones frames the issue that way, she makes all of those people think, oh, well, I guess I agree with this author and the majority of Americans. But that category she's selected of people not wanting to ban abortion, many of those might not want to ban abortion in cases of rape or incest or if the mother's life is threatened. That is a different scenario. But she's taking all of the people who think about that and lumping them in with people who believe elective abortion whenever a woman wants it for any stage of the pregnancy is good. So let's get to the second silly sentence. About 60% believe the procedure should be legal in all or most cases, the Pew Research Center reported last year. And there again is the same trick, all or most cases. So depending on how they frame the actual issue of abortion and the facts about abortion, they can make the public sentiment look a lot different than it actually is. And they can sway the public sentiment by making people focus on the wrong things. So Red Pill Pharmacist and Anon on Telegram posted this article today. It's from a website called abort73.com. And they have a page with abortion facts. And I'm going to read the introduction to that page so that you understand this is legitimate research. Primary nationwide abortion statistics for the United States are available from two sources, privately from the Guttmacher Institute and publicly from the Centers for Disease Control. Guttmacher's numbers published every three years come from direct surveys of all known and suspected abortion providers in the United States. The CDC numbers published annually are derived from actual counts of every abortion reported to state health departments. Unfortunately, California, Maryland, and New Hampshire do not publicly report abortion totals. As such, Guttmacher's abortion numbers are more complete, but they are approximations. Since only 59% of queried providers respond to Guttmacher's latest survey, health department data was used for an additional 19%. Abortion totals were estimated for the remaining 22%. And it goes on to discuss the way the statistics are used. But these are leading trackers of abortion statistics. These are not made up numbers. This is not a biased interpretation. And there's some really interesting information among these statistics. There is a section with the heading, Why Do Abortions Occur? In 2004, the Guttmacher Institute anonymously surveyed 1,209 post-abortive women from nine different abortion clinics across the country. Of the women surveyed, 957 provided a main reason for having an abortion. This table lists each reason and the percentage of respondents who chose it. Okay, so here are the numbers. 6% listed others, so forget about that. We don't know what that is. 25% decided they were not ready for a child. 23% said they cannot afford a baby. 25% 
19% said that they were done having children. 8% don't want to be a single mother. 7% not mature enough to raise a child. 4% would interfere with education or career. 4% for physical health problems. 3% for fetal health problems. And under half a percent are victims of rape. The state of Florida records a reason for every abortion that occurs within its borders each year. In 2020, there were 74,868 abortions in Florida. This table lists each reason and the percentage of abortions that occurred because of it. 74.9% no reason or elective. 20.4% the woman aborted for social or economic reasons. So right there, elective and Social or economic reasons, that is 95% of all abortions. 1.88%, the woman's psychological health was threatened by the pregnancy. 1.48%, the woman's physical health was threatened by the pregnancy. So all the other reasons besides those listed account for under 1.5% of the total abortions last in uh, 2020, I should say, in Florida. 0.98%, so basically 1%, there was a serious fetal abnormality. 0.2%, that's two out of every thousand abortions, the woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy. 0.15%, the woman was raped. So that's 15 abortions out of every 10,000 abortions were due to the woman carrying the child of her rapist. 0.01%, one out of every 10,000 abortions, the pregnancy resulted from an incestuous relationship. Now, I have always thought that one of the most compelling reasons to keep abortion legal is that these situations would be so traumatic to the mother that in some way it's a cruelty making her carry the baby to term. And that is a common liberal argument. And I don't expect that to be convincing for a lot of people. But these are the sorts of points where society actually should be having a debate about what our values are in these situations. Instead, these extraordinarily rare situations are used to manipulate your thinking and appeal to that perceived sense of cruelty and then consider every abortion as if there is some relationship between these rare outlier cases and all of the other types of abortion in the country. So the point I'm trying to make is that the force of the moral argument about when the mother's life is in danger or when the pregnancy is a result of rape and incest, the moral weight of those is what is supporting a lot of the argument for the rest of it, when you lay the argument out the way Sarah Jones is laying the argument out. But let's get back to the article. Should the Supreme Court indeed overturn Roe versus Wade as a leaked draft of the majority opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization suggests there is every reason to believe the decision will be unpopular. Yet public opinion matters little to the right wing and conservatives are organizing behind a national abortion ban, according to The Washington Post. This is a whole new ballgame. Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life Action, told the newspaper the 50 years of standing at the Supreme Court's door waiting for something to happen is over. So the argument here is that according to the numbers Sarah Jones has just shared, the majority of the country is going to be very, very upset about this decision. She says there is every reason to believe this decision will be unpopular. I think that's probably false. There will soon be no reason for them to linger outside the court in hope. The right's long war to ban abortion in the United States may be nearing its conclusion. The draft opinion authored by Justice Samuel Alito argues that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. Women should not fear, he asserts later, because they, quote, are not without electoral or political power. This is thin comfort. 
Pro-choice women can influence their fates through direct action by breaking unjust laws or by filling streets in the defense of their bodies. Electorally, however, their powers are limited by the influence of an anti-democratic conservative movement. Okay, so sending the issue back to the states where people can vote for or against it is now anti-democratic. What we need is for the Supreme Court to tell us what the law is, and then we don't ever have a choice ever again. That is what she wants. That, in her mind, is democratic. And if you're thinking, hey, nothing these people ever say makes any sense. Well, you would be right. It is basically always opposite day in the false reality. What is happening inside the Supreme Court is not the triumph of the American people, but rather the success of a well-funded minoritarian faction. Minoritarian. (laughs) Wow. The battle for abortion pits the electoral and political power of a pro-choice majority against that of conservative elites. And it is easy to see who is winning. Hey. Who are the conservative elites out there in favor of ending abortion? The communists simply do not know what an elite is anymore. They think the elites are the other always because they're communists and because they're communists, they think they have some sort of kinship with all of the people, even while failing to represent any of the people's concerns. And despite how well off they were growing up, what sort of college they went to, what sort of platform or job they have now, they can never be the elites because someone else out there is always richer than them. Elon Musk is super rich. Therefore, Sarah Jones isn't an elite and certainly not an elitist. Opposite day, always opposite day. It is easy to see who is winning. Conservatives have focused their attention and ire on the leaked opinion because they view it as a crime committed against them. Well, no, we view it as a crime committed against the Supreme Court and because of that, the country. The court is theirs. Anyone who violates its sanctity is an enemy. The possibility that the leaker might be a conservative does not change this basic calculus, nor should it. These people have no idea what it means to have a principle. Committing a crime to undermine the Supreme Court is bad. That is an insurrection against our democracy, an actual one, not like the very violent insurrection from January 6th, 2021. And it's not just a crime against the Supreme Court as an institution. The communists last night doxed all of the Supreme Court justices and published their home addresses. And there's no uproar over that. It's not miss or dis or malinformation. The Biden White House is not out calling people domestic terrorists over it. And people on Twitter are saying things like this. This is a blue check, blue anon Twitter celebrity named Simon Gwynn. He has his little Ukrainian flag next to his name so that, you know, he's full on militant communist supportive of the Ukrainian Nazis and the protection of the corruption of the global communist state in Ukraine. Interesting real life trolley problem in America now. And if you're not familiar, the trolley problem is an interesting uh, ethical thought experiment, right? Imagine a train going down a track and it splits and you are at the switch to determine which way the train goes. If you do nothing, the train will continue on. And there are five people on the train track that will be run over by the train. If you do not flip the switch, if you do flip the switch, the train will divert and kill only one person on the other track. So what do you do? If you do nothing, five people will die. If you do something, then you are choosing that that one person is going to die as a result of your action. And so a number of philosophical problems arise. Are you morally culpable if you do nothing? 
because you could have influenced the situation. Do you view this in a utilitarian sense and say the right thing to do is what's better for more people? And then you pull the switch and you end the life of one person while saving the other five. So I think you can see the dilemma. I don't need to belabor the point, but he tweets out interesting real life trolley problem in America. Now, if you had the chance to kill Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, the two oldest right wing Supreme Court judges, should you do it while Biden can get his nominees to replace them confirmed? It's interesting as an abstract question, but becomes a real conundrum if, say, You're terminally ill and have little to lose yourself, but know that it could save many women's lives in the future. So this creepy communist is trying to appeal to people who are either mentally unhinged and on the fringes of sanity or people who are terminally ill and think they don't have much to live for. So maybe going and murdering Supreme Court justices might give their end of life period some greater meaning down the road because you're going to save so many women's lives. And it's not really clear how this is going to save any women's lives. But let's just assume that things make sense in the false reality. So this guy got all sorts of heat about these tweets. And in response, he wrote, I've removed my recent two tweets about the U.S. Supreme Court as on reflection. They're obviously pretty irresponsible, though. I don't think they would be against Twitter's terms of service. No, of course not for you, Simon. You have the blue check mark next to your name. You don't have to abide by the standards everyone else has to abide by. FYI, I don't endorse murdering anyone, but don't think there's anything wrong with thought experiments. And then he added, Twitter is often not a good place for them. However, oh, glad to see you really came to your senses after encouraging murder, Simon. Anti-abortion activists have discovered that with enough elite power at their disposal, they can comfortably ignore the wishes of the people. Their stance on abortion predisposes them to a tyrannical form of politics. If abortion kills a human being, then public opinion does not matter. In fact, to defer to the public is to become complicit in mass murder. And yeah, that is actually a pretty principled, consistent point of view that's rather easy to support. Unless, Sarah Jones, you would like to tell us what other instances You might consider where murder is okay. I bet down the line in the future, Sarah Jones might argue that murder is okay if, for instance, society, the majority agrees that we all need to inject ourselves with an experimental gene therapy to save us from a disease that can't kill us. Maybe murder is okay there, too. I have a feeling she will be arguing that on behalf of the pharmaceutical companies. Also, you got to love how they say anti-abortion as if the pro-life movement is going to somehow be upset with that while they still go by the euphemism pro-choice and not pro-abortion. But they are pro-abortion and it would be better if they would just state that. When the justices formally rule on Dobbs and surely strike down Roe, They will continue an anti-democratic tradition that includes Bush versus Gore, which overruled the popular vote and put George W. Bush in office. That is bananas. The popular vote is not how presidencies are determined. Korematsu versus United States, which upheld the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Hey, Sarah Jones, who was president then? Plessy versus Ferguson, which upheld segregation, Dred Scott versus Sanford, which found that the descendants of slaves could not be American citizens, and Buck versus Bell, which permitted the forcible sterilization of the feeble minded. Again, who was responsible for the bad side of these decisions? That's your people, Sarah Jones. Come get them. The core of Dobbs will be misogyny, just as racial prejudice shaped Korematsu, Plessy, and Dred Scott. 
and as ableism and classism shaped Buck. The eventual Dobbs decision could usher in a new crisis of legitimacy in American politics, which necessarily damages faith in the Supreme Court. This may also be the only positive outcome of Dobbs. So she is very much for the illegitimizing of the Supreme Court, which, of course, is why the communists want to pack the court so they can represent the popular opinion, according to them, whenever and wherever they want. These are the same people who steal elections in an overt effort to misinform the public about what the public actually believes. We are misled from the top about what our friends and family and neighbors actually think about everything. And that's what fraudulent elections can do. All these Biden voters still think that they are part of some majority and definitely some moral majority. They actually believe they won the popular vote, that there were 81 million real legal American votes for Joe Biden. That is utter nonsense. It is not enough to urge voters to turn out in November, as prominent Democrats, including President Joe Biden, have suggested. The suggestion is an insult. Pro-choice women have voted and run for office and on all the party has asked them to. Now is the time for action, such as promising to expand the size of the court and pack it with like-minded jurists. The likely ruling in Dobbs should also make liberals consider reducing opportunities for judicial review, which limits the power of the vote by making its legislative outcomes subject to the opinions of an unelected court majority. Although these solutions may appear radical, their expansive qualities are part of their appeal. To break conservative tyranny, break its tools, start with the Supreme Court. You got that? The Constitution of the United States, the form and foundation of our constitutional republic are conservative tools of tyranny. And the replacement for that should be whatever the most powerful people in the country declare to be popular opinion. That, to them, is our democracy. This is an example of how the communists lash out when they realize the one-world global communist order is not and cannot be compatible with the American Constitution. So they have to destroy the Constitution. All the stuff that they ever say about preserving our democracy and how America is great. All of that is just lip service so that people don't understand these very people are trying to tear down the foundation of our republic. So Sarah Jones basically wants to break our institutions completely and turn every decision in the country over to what she believes is represents popular opinion in her mind. So long as it reflects her own policy agenda, which aligns perfectly, of course, with the agenda of the global communists. She wants action from the illegitimate president and all of the other illegitimate people serving in government. So what kinds of stuff would she like to see happen? Well, here's an idea. This is from last April, April 2021. This is NPR. Here's what you should know about Biden's new rules for fetal tissue research. Fetal tissue is uniquely valuable to medical researchers, useful for developing treatments and better understanding diseases like HIV, Parkinson's and COVID-19. You got that? So all of those abortions, those tens of millions of abortions since Roe versus Wade, they have helped us in defeating COVID-19. Now, first off, that's not true at all. But the only way you could even argue that it might be true is that fetal cell lines were used in the development and production of the quote unquote vaccines. So maybe she thinks that's a good thing. But many anti-abortion rights groups oppose it on moral or religious grounds. Now, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra says he's reversing 
several restrictions on fetal tissue research put in place during the Trump administration. Fetal tissue is uniquely adaptable and useful for many types of scientific inquiry. Lawrence Goldstein, a distinguished professor at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, said because these cells are not fully developed, they can be useful for many things like trying to develop replacement organs. So, for example, if you're trying to make a kidney from stem cells, you'd like to know that as the cells begin going down the kidney development path, that they're doing it normally, Goldstein said. And so comparison to early fetal kidney cells that are doing it normally tells you that you're on the right track or not. So aborted fetal tissue is very important for science, you must understand. There are ethical requirements for tissue obtained from elective abortions. Patients have to understand what they're doing and consent to it. Doctors involved have to attest that they received consent to collect the tissue after a patient had already decided to have an abortion. But people opposed to abortion rights often oppose this kind of research, and social conservatives held significant influence in the Trump administration. The Trump administration took a couple of actions in 2019. The first was a ban on NIH funding for what's known as intramural research, essentially programs within the agency involving newly obtained fetal tissue from abortions. Second, a requirement that external applicants for NIH funds who wanted to use fetal tissue had to go through an ethics advisory board review process. The board was convened by the Trump administration, and as critics noted, most board members were publicly opposed to abortion rights. And of course, from their point of view, that's untenable. They need the board filled with abortion advocates. So you can have a very robust debate or at least pretend to and then come down exactly where the agenda says you must. Lawrence Goldstein at UCSD School of Medicine was on that board, although he was in the minority because of his support for fetal tissue research. Oh, so they did have people representing the other side. Amazing. It was an incredibly unpleasant experience because highly meritorious research projects that had already been through multiple layers of review, both scientifically and ethically, went to this board to be killed, he said. <laughs> yeah, and you have to preserve the life of science in the womb so that it comes to life. You can't go killing scientific research while it's, let's say, gestating. In a statement, Marjorie Dannenfelser of the anti-abortion rights group, the Susan B. Anthony List, said this decision will, quote, force Americans to be complicit in barbaric experiments, end quote. She also said this is another step toward reversing pro-life progress under Trump and Pence. This action is part of something larger. The anti-abortion rights movement is finding itself on the losing side of a lot of policy battles at the federal level. Just this week, the Biden administration announced steps to reverse changes to the Title IX family planning program that had effectively cut significant funding to groups like Planned Parenthood. That news came after the FDA announced it will temporarily loosen restrictions on abortion pills during the pandemic. So expect many more political fights over issues related to abortion rights in the years to come. At the same time that Biden is taking these actions at the federal level, conservatives still hold a lot of power in state legislatures and the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, I wanted to share this to reaffirm the idea I've been talking about the last couple of days. There is actually an industry here, a market here and incentives to increase the supply of aborted fetal tissue. She tells you Right away in the first sentence, fetal tissue is uniquely valuable to medical researchers. And she says all of that is worth it because they're going to develop treatments and a better understanding for HIV, Parkinson's and COVID-19. And it's also clear that the NIH, the federal government, is funding the research on aborted fetal tissue. And again, I can mention the instance at the University of Pittsburgh. David Daleiden goes through all of this, aborted fetal tissue being grafted on to lab animals. So the animals are, quote unquote, humanized. And then they're just perfect for testing. Aborted fetal tissue is highly valuable for the science. You must trust the science. You must respect the science and you must do whatever the scientists say.
Now, let's switch subjects completely without a segue. The other day, a letter was written to major companies who advertise on Twitter about the dangers that Elon Musk buying the platform and taking the platform over could pose to their businesses. So here's the letter. And it has a big Media Matters for America logo up at the top with a group called Ultraviolet and a group called Accountable Tech. To whom it may concern, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter will further toxify our information ecosystem and be a direct threat to public safety, especially among those already most vulnerable and marginalized. And they've always got to get that in there. So you understand that what you're doing in opposing Elon Musk's move is you're actually protecting all of the most vulnerable and marginalized people in the world from potentially being exposed to ideas that don't benefit the most powerful people in the entire world. That is what they're doing. And they're pretending that there's real violence being directed at the marginalized. Basically, the idea is if there were to ever be a platform that actually respected free speech, the vulnerable and marginalized would eventually die from the results of all the hate speech they would be exposed to. Now, did that happen before the platform started censoring? The answer is quite obviously no. So would it happen if the platform stopped censoring? Well, it's also no. But if they were to be honest about that, they would lose one of their only arguments. Twitter has outsized influence in shaping both public discourse and industry-wide platform governance standards. While the company is hardly a poster child for healthy social media, it has taken welcome steps in recent years to mitigate systemic risks, ratcheting up pressure on the likes of Facebook and YouTube to follow suit. You got that? So they do it on Twitter and then through public pressure, they force the other social media platforms to do it as well. Musk intends to steamroll those safeguards and provide a megaphone to extremists who traffic in disinformation, hate and harassment. Under the guise of free speech, his vision will silence and endanger marginalized communities and tear at the fraying fabric of democracy. Now, that is just batshit insane. It is once again, opposite day in the false reality. So here are their big talking points. Number one, keep accounts, including those of public figures and politicians that were removed for egregious violations of Twitter rules, such as harassment, violence, and hateful conduct off the platform and continue to enforce the civic integrity policy along with the hateful conduct policy. So everybody that's been banned already has to still be banned. That is what they're asking for. No consideration should be made whatsoever. Now, those standards apply to me. That is why my account is suspended. I've talked about this before. The day after Trump and Biden's final debate, the brain dead communists on Twitter, Blue Anons, were confused about what Trump could have meant by saying coyotes were bringing over drugs into America through the southern border and they were trafficking women and children as well. The communists weren't sure how a coyote could do this. What are you going to strap a child to the coyote's back? Well, the thing is, coyote is the nickname for the cartel's human and drug smugglers. And that's what Trump was referring to. So there was some hefty, overweight, country singing Blue Anon who made that point. And I wrote back, are you retarded? Which, to be honest, is the question in everyone's head when they see something that stupid said so proudly and forcefully by a Blue Anon on Twitter. And for that, my account was suspended for violating the hateful conduct policy. You are not allowed to ask Blue Anons if they're retarded. Because apparently, 
that is a slight to the mentally impaired. Now, if you are going to talk about strapping children to the back of a coyote, the wild dog, there's a good argument that you are mentally impaired. But there is no argument to be made that I was referring to the actually mentally handicapped. But because I was banned under these guidelines, that means I have to stay banned forever, according to Media Matters. They don't want any of us back on the platform. They don't want all the work they've done to eliminate certain voices from the conversation to ever be undone by someone else coming in and taking control of Twitter. Since 2020, Twitter has applied its civic integrity policy to all users, including elected officials. Musk's statements at TED 2022 last week indicate that he will roll back permanent bans and err on the side of allowing harmful content to remain on the platform under the guise of free speech. It is not under the guise of free speech. It just is free speech. This is America. In America, we have the First Amendment. In America, the government is not supposed to coordinate with, quote unquote, private companies to suppress our rights to speak. And yet that is exactly what the government does. That is the substance of Trump's lawsuits against the social media companies. It is not just a case of these social media companies, these private companies making their rules and then applying their rules to all their users. Yes, they have a terms of service that covers all users, but those terms are not applied in the same way. And as I just read for you before, that Blue Anon member of Twitter was suggesting in no uncertain terms that Justice Thomas and Justice Alito be killed by someone who is terminally ill to preserve Roe versus Wade. But that does not count as hateful or violent rhetoric. And that Twitter user will almost certainly not have anything happen to his account. A reversal of Twitter's content moderation policies, including its recently released climate commitments, its protections for transgender people, and its restrictions on other forms of hate, harassment, and violence would be toxic, not just for those targeted, but also for businesses advertising on the platform. And so in the span of maybe 200 words, they have gone from protecting the vulnerable and marginalized from the potential for real world violence to the necessity of censoring speech about a whole range of political topics. If the opinion expressed conflicts with the global communist agenda, climate, transgender issues, these things cannot be discussed on the social media platform at all, unless you are supporting the position of the global communist order. That is what they're saying. Disagreeing with the climate agenda in no way threatens real world violence against the vulnerable and marginalized. It's comical to even pretend. And then, of course, they bring in the real concern. It's going to affect your bottom line. That's the case they're making. Number two, beyond algorithmic transparency, ensure algorithmic accountability, preserve people's privacy and commit to depolarizing the algorithm. Consider the implications of full scale public visibility into Twitter's algorithm and put protections in place to prevent bad actors from gaming the system. Again, you got to remember they are in control of this system. They are pretending that this system is objective, that they are hands off, that they are not the ones influencing how the system is run, but they are. They don't want there to be anything objective about their system because that's not going to get the job done for them. That's not going to censor properly. That's not going to support their propaganda efforts. And they're not even talking about free and open speech. They're talking about any move in that direction. 
Listen to privacy experts and others whose expertise includes protecting communities that are discriminated against in speaking truth to power. There is no community more threatened in their ability to speak truth to power than those of us who have been continually censored for the last two plus years. We are literally the vulnerable and marginalized. We have been pushed to the margins, our totally supportable and rational and evidenced and justifiable views have been made to seem fringe and extreme. And there's a concerted effort there. We've been subject to harassment campaigns. We've had our careers ended and our reputations maligned. This censorship regime does actually have victims, and that's us, not some made-up class of marginalized people who are suddenly facing real-world violence from free speech. And it's even more preposterous to assert this while leaving people like Simon Gwynn on Twitter to say the things he says, to encourage actual assassination of Supreme Court justices. The letter goes on. Continue the work of its in-house research team called Machine Learning, Ethics, Transparency, and Accountability that looks at potential biases in its algorithms, including published research, for instance, on whether the algorithms that automatically crop profile photos contained inadvertent bias. And you're going to hear a lot more about that cropping algorithm because that cropping algorithm is at the center of ongoing Twitter litigation right now. And if you want to know what that cropping algorithm does, pay attention the next time you see a woman's body in a bikini on Twitter. The cropping algorithm will make the picture preview her midsection breasts to mid thigh. But I digress back to the letter. Number three, continue Twitter's commitment to transparency and researcher access. Twitter stands out for its support of researchers, both internal and external to the company from its API for academic research to its willingness to publish critique and its internal learnings. Twitter has demonstrated a commitment to transparency and access for researchers that sets an example for other big tech companies and allows for accountability. Well, that's very, very interesting. It's also completely and totally false. And it's also pretty ironic and hypocritical coming from a group of people who are just mentioning all of this now. Where was their effort before this to make Twitter's algorithm open source as top advertisers on Twitter, your brand risks association with a platform amplifying hate, extremism, health misinformation and conspiracy theorists. So it's not even about putting the ad next to certain content anymore. It's about putting your ad on that platform where there might be health misinformation and conspiracy theorists. And as we know, those definitions are entirely subjective and entirely relative. They make them up as they go along. Now, the concern for advertisers may well be real. You might not want the ad for your product to come right after a very controversial view, for instance. But with the ad targeting already available on these platforms, it's a relatively silly concern. It also is a problem inherent in the business model. But let's broaden the perspective on this a little bit and think about what companies are actually doing with that platform. I talked last week about how Wall Street's influence on that platform can actually shift markets. Again, this is like the information warfare Death Star. That's what Twitter is. Think of it that way. It's an information weapon that can change public sentiment about a whole range of issues, including the value of certain companies and what's happening in the world. This letter may as well be saying, hey, you know, all those benefits you reap from 
being able to change public sentiment with this information weapon, you might not have any more of those if Elon Musk takes over. And then what is your business going to do now? So you better jump on board with us, jump on board with the World Economic Forum agenda and do what we tell you or else you're going to lose all your money. Now, a lot of people get upset when they see letters like this because they assume this means that the censorship regime has a lot of power. Now, I don't feel that way when I see stuff like this. I welcome stuff like this because stuff like this helps in the awakening, in the process of awakening culturally. It's actually good for people to know that the Clintons and George Soros are fully on board with the censorship regime. And so are all of these other organizations that they're tied into. This stuff is always called a conspiracy theory. It is a conspiracy theory that the Clintons have influence over all these organizations, that George Soros funds these organizations. That's what we're told. But then they come out and announce themselves. And here are the organizations that signed this letter. Access Now, Accountable Tech, Black Lives Matter, Global Network Foundation, Center for Countering Digital Hate, empowering Pacific Islander communities. Oh, it's epic. You get it? E-P-I-C. <laughs> so clever. Face the Music Collective, Fair Vote UK, Free Press. That's the organization of that Jessica lady whose article I read from CNN Business last week. Jessica Gonzalez, I think her name was, having a complete meltdown about Elon Musk maybe taking over Twitter. Friends of the Earth. <laughs> what an amazing name for an organization. The Gender Equity Policy Institute. GLAD. Global Project Against Hate and Extremism. Indivisible Northern Nevada. Oh, Indivisible. That's Obama. Kairos. K-A-I-R-O-S. I'm not familiar with that organization. Media Matters for America. Media Justice. Narol, pro-choice America. Yeah, you'd hate to have a free and open conversation about abortion, wouldn't you? National Hispanic Media Coalition. Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Repro Action. Stop Online Violence Against Women Incorporated. The Sparrow Project. Ultraviolet. Union of Concerned Scientists. V-Day slash one billion rising. And of course, the Women's March. All of these organizations are linked to one another. Their agenda is entirely aligned. They are supported by George Soros and Hillary Clinton, the Obamas, European governments, and other global communist aligned people and institutions that are among the most powerful organizations in the world. Now, this letter is specifically addressed to the corporations that advertise on the social media networks, many of whom are transnational, multinational corporations who are World Economic Forum partners. This is all the same agenda. It should not be questioned by anyone any longer. There's nothing conspiratorial or theoretical about any of this. It is all just simply true. And they admit it when they write letters like this one. Now, I think everybody pretty much agrees that it's no coincidence that the exposure of the Ministry of Truth in our federal government is happening concurrently with Elon Musk attempting to purchase Twitter. And Joshua Phillips at the Epoch Times did a deep dive on this on Epic TV last week. And so a little hat tip to him. He directed his audience to check out the CISA.gov website and specifically their page on what they call MDM, which is mis, dis, and malinformation. Misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation make up what CISA defines as information activities. When this type of content is released by foreign actors, it can be referred to as foreign influence. Definitions for each are below. Here we go. Misinformation is false, but not created or shared with the intention of causing harm. 
So misinformation is kind of the more innocuous version. Someone said something wrong, but they weren't trying to ruin anything. And of course, what they are ruining or damaging would be the mainstream narrative. When you're not threatening the mainstream narrative, it's not misinformation. Disinformation is deliberately created to mislead, harm, or manipulate a person, social group, organization, or country. So that is intentionally wrong information created to have a negative influence. And again, you got to remember it's opposite day all the time in the false reality. But here's the crazy one. Malinformation is based on fact, but used out of context to mislead, harm or manipulate. So that's saying true things, but getting the result they don't want. So the one commonality here is that what said doesn't support their agenda. And I mentioned this in the Ghost of Kiev video, which you should all check out and share. What the ultimate definition of misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation entails is that whatever was said is determined to be misleading, which means it takes you in a direction they don't want you to go. For instance, If you see a whole bunch of information, regardless of whether or not it's true, that makes you understand the vaccines are not at all safe and not at all effective, then you have been misled. Yes, you took facts and reached an accurate conclusion, but that wasn't where they wanted you to go. So you have been misled, which makes all of that information MDM. Back to the CISA website, foreign and domestic threat actors use MDM campaigns to cause chaos, confusion, and division. These malign actors are seeking to interfere with and undermine our democratic institutions and national cohesiveness, national cohesiveness. Everybody has to be on the same page and believe the same thing. That is what they are saying. The resources provided at the bottom of this page provide examples and more information about MDM activities. So let's look at the section called Bridging Election Stakeholders and Social Media. Election Stakeholders. The MDM team serves as a switchboard for routing disinformation concerns to appropriate social media platforms and law enforcement. This activity began in 2018, supporting state and local election officials to mitigate disinformation about the time, place and manner of voting for the 2020 election. CISA expanded the breadth of reporting to include other state and local officials and more social media platforms. This activity leverages the rapport the MDM team has with the social media platforms to enable shared situational awareness. So the platform's response to what is deemed MDM is coordinated with the federal government in direct violation of the First Amendment. We are being told this. They are not hiding it. They are putting it out there as if it is absolutely a social good that no one should question. Here's the part on the COVID-19 response. As COVID-19 spread around the globe, mis, dis, and malinformation spread as well. Oh, like a virus, you mean? COVID-19-related MDM activities seek to undermine public confidence and sow confusion. COVID-19 has demonstrated that a rapidly evolving event creates opportunities for adversaries to act maliciously. It also shows that rapid evolution of accurate information makes older, dated information a potential catalyst of confusion and distrust as well. That right there is an argument for memory holding. Get rid of that old, dated information like the hundred years of research that show masks don't work. We're saying masks do work now. And to disagree to assert that the science actually shows conclusively that there is absolutely no benefit to masking whatsoever and only, only harm, provable harm. Well, that's misleading, according to the new point of view. And that older, dated information just serves to sow confusion. So it's got to be eliminated. 
or at least we can't allow people to see it anymore. That would be malinformation. Yes, it's true, but it's going to mislead people and erode our national cohesiveness. What's important is that everybody believes the voice of the authoritative source relayed to us by the news. The MDM team supports the interagency and private sector partners COVID-19 response efforts via regular reporting and analysis of key pandemic-related MDM trends. So there's your ministry of truth. The important thing to remember is that the truth has nothing to do with any of it. It is only about where the information leads you. If it leads you to a place that doesn't suit the global communist agenda, then it is MDM and you can be punished for spreading it. Now, the human grotesquerie named Alejandro Mayorkas appeared before the Senate yesterday for more testimony. This is his exchange with Senator John Kennedy. In awe of Ms. Jankowitz, I have watched her with slack-jawed astonishment. Who picked her? Senator, the, uh, Senator Kennedy, it's nice to see you as well. The Department of Homeland Security selected Ms. Jankowicz. Who at the department picked um, her? Senator, we, we don't discuss our, hiring, our internal hiring processes, but I am the Secretary of Homeland Security, and ultimately I am responsible. When, you, uh, when the department picked her, Did did it know that she had said that Mr. Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation? Um, Senator, uh, let me let me uh, repeat myself and add one uh, other fact. I was not aware of that. Uh, we do not discuss the internal hiring process. Ultimately, as the secretary, I'm responsible for the decisions of the Department of right. Homeland Security. When when. Uh, when the department picked Ms. Jankowitz, did it know that she had vouched for the veracity of the Steele dossier? Uh, Senator, let me um, repeat myself and add an, an additional fact. Um, uh, one, uh, we do not discuss uh, internal hiring processes. Two, I was not aware of that fact. Uh, three, as the Secretary of Homeland Security, I am responsible for the decisions of the department. And four, it is my understanding that Ms. Jankowicz is a subject matter expert in the field for, in which she will be working on behalf of the department. Yeah, I can tell. So Nina Jankowicz is a subject matter expert. She has degrees and she has written books about disinformation. And that is her qualification for being the person that gets to decide what's true and false in the world and how to respond to it at a government level, even though, even though we have the First Amendment that says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And that, of course, has already failed. Congress, in a national defense authorization, empowered CISA and the DHS to set up this disinformation governance board. And now the deep state bureaucracy gets to handle that responsibility however they see fit. All of this is totally illegitimate, by the way. But also, Nina Jankowitz in particular is an absolutely comical character. And I don't know how Kennedy let Mayorkas get away with saying they don't discuss their internal hiring practices. This is a branch of the federal government. These people are public servants. Their hiring practices should be publicly known and publicly available. That should be totally transparent. But Mayorkas gets to hide all of it. 
And they'll continue to do that as all of us and the public conversation forgets completely about this ministry of truth and the lunatic Nina Jankowitz, who's running it. And before I go, this came up over the course of this afternoon while I've been recording the show, but Jen Psaki is leaving her job on May 13th. So that is next Friday, the 13th, and she is being replaced by Karine Jean-Pierre, the backup spokes communist, while Psaki presumably heads to MSNBC to get paid even more to lie to the American public. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!